The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will be streamed live. Welcome back to the uh, Critical and Thinking Podcast. Uh, I am here with not Ty Barnett. Ty, where are you at? You're in Seattle? I'm in Seattle right now. <laughs> Seattle, in the airport, uh, on the phone. So we have an in-studio guest, which I'm very excited to, 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 to bring to you guys, because um, one of the reasons I even hey, called Ty and said, hey, let's start doing a podcast, is because I did... Uh, Kara Santa Maria's podcast, and we talk. Hey, Kara, how are you? <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> and she said you should do a podcast, and she said I'll be a guest if you do a podcast. <laughs> so here she is. So uh, everybody, welcome, golf clap. Yay! 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 I'm golf clapping Kara from Santa the Maria. airport. I'm golf clapping from the airport. Hey, I was just in Seattle last week. I love How'd Seattle. You like it? I we I went to a wedding of two of the most beautiful people that you will ever see in in the human um, species. I didn't get married. That's, and, a, that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure you put <laughs> on those two people. Oh, so they you know. know. They know it. They know. I went to Phil Torres and Celia Danielson's wedding, and they um, it was in the Ballard district. Did you have you been oh, to yeah, the? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah, gosh. I've been to Ballard. They used to have a nice little open mic in that area. Yeah, yeah. super nice. Super nice. Yeah, and and actually, since I've been here, the weather's been really cool. So you know, uh, I, I like sun. Set. I can tell you guys that, but you know, I can't tell my boys in Chicago. That. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the uh, all right. So real quick, uh, since I didn't properly introduce, for those people, m- most of people who who I know already know know you. Um, but we're trying to get a whole different group, a whole different demographic, a whole different audience. So tell people a little <laughs> about a little bit about what what it is you do. I know you're like you're. I mean, you're a science advocate and 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 you you teach and you're you're part of the skeptics guide to the universe which is which is fantastic so tell people a little bit about what it is you do yeah so it's complicated but if i were to use one kind of overarching term it would be science communicator so what that means is that i work you're really a hard. Witch. yes I'm, uh, <laughs> yes don't don't yeah. burn me um i work really hard <laughs> to bridge the gap between academic science and public understanding of science so i do this through a lot of different means. I have my own podcast. It's called Talk Nerdy with Kara Santamaria. That's what you guessed it. Yeah, with me on. Um, I'm also a co-host, or as we call them, rogues, of the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, which is one of the oldest science podcasts. Um, But I also do television, so I am a correspondent on National Geographic's Explorer. I just finished up a run as a correspondent on Bill Nye Saves the World on Netflix. Um, What else do I do? Oh, I co-founded and co-run a science communication retreat, an annual retreat called SciComm Camp, which I'd love to talk to you more about that because it's coming up soon. And lastly, as if all of that weren't enough, I, oh, I also have two books coming out. Um, (laughs) As if all of that weren't enough, I have decided that it's a good idea to go back to school. And now I'm in my second year of my PhD program. Wow. Finishing up working on a clinical uh, psychology. I don't think PhD. I don't think I think you're way overqualified to be talking. <laughs> <laughs> right? We're not worthy. You'd We're be su- wor- you'd be surprised. I, know, I think I think last week we had a guy that farts on stage in here or something. Yeah. But uh, no. So do you yeah. mostly do comedy on the show? No, I, actually we don't. We 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 only have done. Everything we we keep trying to get different guests and and go different directions, and somehow it always ends up. Back to Trump and politics. Yeah, like, it's I know. so hard to steer away from this clown. It's even hard yeah. for us to steer away on the SGU, and our right. editorial policy is no politics. Right, but there's still so much pseudoscience. Right, that it it enters into the science. Oh, realm. it's it's insane. And it's, well, when you when you have somebody that's a science denier, it's yes. kind of hard to not talk about them in your field. So let me ask you: So do you think? So has your job gotten harder? 
Uh, how much harder? I'm not. You know what? I'm just going to assume it's gotten harder. How much harder? <laughs> has gotten? Well, I think that the the answer that I usually give to this question is that. We are still doing the same thing we've always done because science denialism has always right. happened. It's just a little bit more emboldened now. Right. So I think that ultimately, in a way, my job has gotten maybe not easier, but it's gotten more relevant. And mm. so I don't have to justify what I do for a living as much as I used to have to do now that we're dealing with this administration. Okay. Obviously, when Obama was in office, we had a pro-science administration. Right. We still had an anti-science you know, country Congress. <laughs> yes, yeah. Congress. Like we were still struggling a little bit there with the legislature, but, um, a, a lot with the legislature, but w at least it, there was a leadership quality that was pro science. And now that we have, um, an administration that's so anti-science, more and more people are like, I'm so glad you do what you do. Right. <laughs> so at least that's helpful in a way. Oh, good. Yeah, at least the appreciation is there from people still. So what, I was in, cause Go ahead. No, 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 I was just going to say because it's funny because looking at the book that you brought, the the Skeptics Guide, the Universe book that you that you are are part of, mm -hmm. um, the subtitle is uh, "How to Know What's Really Real in a World Increasingly Full of Fake uh, of Fake." That's it in the world of Trump's fake news, which is ironic that he's the guy that uses the word fake news. Yeah, because he uses it. Because all he does is use fake news. Yeah, he uses it in a completely different <laughs> way than the term originally was meant to be used, right? Fake news, as we think about it, is agenda-driven, invented, right. uh, partisan, non-news. Right. But Trump just calls anything that is— uh, That doesn't agree with him. Yeah, anything that, like, denigrates him, he calls fake news. So right. Logis uh, not logistic, uh, legitimate news, he calls fake news all the time. Yeah, and yeah. It's, 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 it's hard because— we're always dealing with people who say stuff like, well, what, what's real? Whose news are you? Whose facts? Yeah. I hear that all the time. Whose facts are you? Like, oh, these Alternate are the facts. facts. <laughs> we're, we're dealing with that right and now. That, well, Tyson, never go, knew, go ahead. That never used to be a case with science. Like, like that never used to be the case if people would say, which, what, what kind of facts do you have? It's been it's science. Right. <laughs> like, how do you have alternative facts to science? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that there has always been, a, there's been a long struggle of science or I don't know, I don't even want to say of science as if it's some sort of like massive institution, but the scientific method is ever changing. And there's always been movement within the scientific um, kind of endeavors to iterate towards, I don't know, truth, reality. Maybe I should say things that are, that have better evidence to support them. And there have always been pseudoscientists, you know, like right. Mesmer, for example, we've all right. heard of mesmerism. Like he was like, a big deal. Mesmerized. Yeah. Like people were really into Mesmer and like everybody believed him. And there have always been times when like charlatans have had a lot of standing. Well, within that's kind of what, what Houdini's whole thing was, was going after charlatans. Absolutely. And James and Randi famously James, did yes. that as well. And there's a great Netflix documentary all about kind of magicians are at this really cool interface where they can kind of use their powers for good or evil. Right. I know. It's cool, right? <laughs> and it, oh, so, so since, Ty, we only have Ty for a brief moment. I know Ty wants to talk about this, and then we can, when he goes away, we can talk. We can talk. We can more talk about migraines. Some, yes, exactly, <laughs> migraines and science. But let's talk. Now, and want, you don't I get to talk to politics. I want to know that, by the way, just so you guys out there listening to the podcast. That's how much Ian Harris and Ty Barnett care about the critical and thinking podcast. Ian's <laughs> doing it with a migraine, and I'm doing it from an airport. <laughs> <laughs> So listen to the podcast, you guys. This Hell is a particularly yeah. bad migraine, by the way. I'm, oh, ha I'm no. having a panic attack, like as we talk, because it's like I can't—I literally can't see anything right now. It's 
horrible. And I'm like freaking out. Like, why is this one so bad right now? Am I, am I going to die? It's because you're thinking about it a lot. Yeah. yeah. We'll and get, I'm getting like literally, look at that. I'm like shaking. It's, I know. It's, it's horrible. It becomes very I, meta. I, so as soon as I, we lose Ty, I think we'll maybe we'll take a break and then you can re. re uh, well, I don't know. I said, I don't know if he's talking about the next topic I think we're talking about that might make his migraine. Oh, no. Yeah, right. What is it? What is it? What's well, up, Ty? No, we wanted to talk about. And and this is great. Actually, it's great having a female perspective because we, we haven't had that. I don't think we've had that yet on our podcast, what? despite trying. Yeah. Um, well, people canceling or not being able to do it. Gotcha. So this is great. But right now, so we had, I don't know if you got to see any of the hearing this morning. I didn't watch any of the hearing. I just woke up right before I came here. <laughs> <laughs> that, it's, uh, so this is incredible to me. Mm. So we're talking about um, Dr. Ford. Yes. Who is accused, who's accused um, uh, Kavanaugh. Yeah. Yeah, uh, she is not accused. She has accused. Yeah, she Kavanaugh. she has accused yeah. Kavanaugh. Yes, um, of of sexual misconduct, uh, misconduct, attempted rape, basically. Yeah, and um, she came out with her statements today. They they they. You know, I didn't get to watch the entire thing, but I watched a good chunk of it. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now at the highlights on Twitter. And she um, basically came out and stated because here's the talking point for the people on the right. Why is she t- just talking about it now? It was 36 years ago. It must be politically motivated because she, because otherwise she would have brought it up a long time ago. But now that he's going, he's going to be a judge, she's bringing it up just, just to discredit him, blah, 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 blah. Uh, yes well, and yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, too. It's like, I mean, we can sit here and we can talk about all the reasons that victims don't report immediately. There are right. so many legitimate reason the legitimate psychological reasons legitimate reasons because of the backlash i mean we saw the exact same thing happen with anita hill this is just a remake of that right um but even beyond that and we'll come back to that i think we should come back to that but even beyond that yeah, it is politically motivated in the sense that he could be a federal judge yeah, and she doesn't want life. that to happen because he's yeah. a, an, a rapist, you right. know, <laughs> like he's a sexual assaulter. And maybe the stakes weren't as high before, but now that they're high enough, she feels well, a lot of pressure. See, well, people don't see and I, I'm having a hard time trying to figure out why they can't see this. This right. is a dude that mm-hmm. was appointed that or suggested he's been nominated by an accused sexual offender who's actually bragged about assaulting women. I know. Right. This is, these are the facts of where we are. The dude that nominated, nominates this guy has 19, over 19 accusations against him. He's on tape saying that he assaults women and yeah. that they love it. Okay. He is also in the same political party that knew about the other accusers over a week ago, didn't say anything. The same party that almost selected a known, uh, an accused pedophile. The same political party that it covered for Rob Porter after knowing his allegations. These are all, they're all GOP members. These are all the same people who come out against one thing and then they're busted for doing something else. The fact that women, and this is why I want to get your opinion on Mm -hmm. this, why is it more women that are so quick to throw this woman and other women under the bus without any evidence that she's lying? Any. Do you really think so? Or, Or you mean like GOP women? Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. it's party specific. I think it's just it, it's just that much more obvious to us because it seems that much worse well, yeah, when you when hear a GOP, it, GOP woman not backing her. It's like it's disgusting. Like when you're watching the um, the testimony and you're seeing that there are potentially 
many, many female GOP, um, uh, GOP senators and Congress people who, um, who are supporting, supporting him Kavanaugh. Yeah. And you're like, the hope is just that there's enough women that are moderates. Right. Um, or that are, you know, just good women or just not fucking batshit crazy. I know. Jesus, to like, how, how to, about not? How like, about that? How about just enough women that care about social justice that even if they are on the GOP side, they're willing to part with their party to support women's rights because i think ultimately this is um this is a human issue this is a social justice a civil justice issue and it's really sad that what is it now 30 years later more than 30 years later we're seeing anita hill all over again right all over again all yeah but but, again. but this is actually worse in that there are four accusers now oh yeah four people have come forward and they have signed affidavits from mm. from here's the other thing really quick this idea that she just came forward is nonsense she's on yeah. record in 2012 stating it yeah and the thing is that and the, her friends knew about it back then too and her yeah. her psychiatrist or psychologist mm. knew about it and here's the other thing is that what i did not know mm. is that what she said in the testimony today the reason she was anonymous yeah is that she actually reported this a while ago she reported it when he was one of the one of the nominee mm. potential nominees. So she said, "Okay, out of this list of potential nominees, I don't know how many it was three, ten, whatever. This guy shouldn't be on this list of nominees because he is a a, a sexual predator." Yeah, that's why. So she wrote an anonymous letter yeah. saying, "Hey guys, I'm just letting you know I don't want to get involved, but you guys should remove this one guy." So it wasn't like, "Hey, I don't want any GOP person being a, a, a SCOTUS member." It's it's that. This guy shouldn't even be on this list to begin with. Of course. And if people are like, how mm, she's hiding behind anonymity, it's like, yeah, because her life is being ruined right, right now. Like, if uh, we shouldn't even have to sit here and talk about why women don't report, especially in high profile rape charges. Right. Because there is so much legitimate evidence that their lives are destroyed yeah, and in danger they're, I mean, they're yeah. talking about like like people coming to their house and and killing them i mean jesus and, and like and blacklisted from job i mean it's just across the board it there's there's more this. risk than than reward yeah. yeah of the two of the two accused of the two people involved in these accusations only one said that they want to talk to the fbi only one asked for a thorough investigation only one received death threats mm -hmm. and none of those was judge kavanaugh do yeah, you understand what exactly. I'm so, yeah. so the fact that, and the, the the and this is why, and I see it because it happens in the black community too. Whereas, if someone's accused of committing a crime against a black person, they always get a black person to speak mm -hmm. to tell you that it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's not that big of a deal. Or they have somebody in the background. Like, look at all press conferences. If you look at all these unarmed black people that were killed, there's either a black person telling you to relax and calm down, of course. or there's a black person in the background. They're doing the same thing right now. With this woman, they're getting women to get in front of the camera yeah. and tell you that she's lying. They're getting women to sit there and, and grill each other on Facebook and social media and say, oh, I can't believe this. Because in their mind, they know of a dude. So that's why with the latest accusers, they're, they're trying to attack the, her lawyer, which is Avenatti, Michael Avenatti. They're yeah. trying to attack him because so they like don't look like they're calling chaser. him. And that's the other thing. This dude, by the way, is represented... The, Michael Avenatti represented the other person that came across with allegations against the other predator, Trump. Yeah, Stormy he Daniels. All, he was telling the truth. Yeah. It was all true. And here's the thing. Like, I think what you, the point that you're making is so incredibly important, both about these, um, these sort of ploys, these maybe, um, what would we call them, um, 
defensive ploys. So Mm -hmm. like you said, putting a black person in front of a jury to say, to like add uh, fuel to the fire or putting women out in front, you know, there's that letter that Kavanaugh had drafted up or his people had drafted up from all of the women that went to high school with him and college with him saying, Oh, he's a good guy. And of course (laughs) that woman, Renate, who didn't know that he had written all this horrible stuff about her in his yearbook and she had to like renege right. her her statement. But, but there was top- a bunch of people apparently that, yeah. that did too. That were but like, on top Wait. of that, like I, I was just looking at um Trayvon Free's Instagram and he had this really great um uh thing that he quoted and it was let me see if I can find it. Yeah, yeah. It was a comment with all of these young unarmed black boys who were shot by police and then a picture of judge Kavanaugh at the end. And they all have stamped across their face. Not a boy, not a boy, not a boy. And then Kavanaugh, just a boy. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And that's the, this, this is racial. I mean, it's like, it's so crazy yeah. that we see this over and over and over with not just the way that the, uh, judiciary handles this stuff, but the way that the media handles this stuff. Right. Yes. Yes, and because think about it, and, and I got to get out of here in two minutes, but I want to say the, the the fact that this isn't obvious to people at this point. Mm-hmm. And I told you, what's, what's the most disheartening to me? Because I'm not going to lie. As a dude, I expect other dudes to be animals. I do. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, not even animals, because that's disrespecting animals. Monsters, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so Because I've seen it. I've seen these guys, mm-hmm. right? But what's most disheartening to me is to see these women quickly dismiss this woman. Yeah. And then on top of that, they're doing this in the same week that we just, we have women pissed off that Cosby only got three years. I know. Make up, like, which one is it? Do we want to punish the dudes or not? If you want to punish them, then be mad that Cosby got three years, but go after this motherfucker too, but yeah. you can't be mad. Yeah, you because mad Co- Cosby's black and he's not hes not a conservative. But also, they can, they can overturn Roe v. Wade. So. Yeah, and also <laughs> I would just say, you know, yeah. I think that the vast majority of women are appalled by this, and there's a, a select few... <laughs> Um, hardcore party over people um, group of women who have been put on a national stage to to represent basically a an agenda. Right. And so, um, obviously, I don't think that they represent in, in anywhere close to most women. Most women no. are absolutely appalled by what's happening right now. Absolutely. I, I hope I hope they make it known when they vote. Yeah. Okay, exactly. Me too. Ian, I hope you feel better, bro. Thanks, man. um, Thank you guys for having me on. Y'all enjoy the rest of the podcast. I will talk to you soon. Thanks, uh, man. Keep fighting the fight. The science fight and the feminine fight. (laughs) Oh, thanks so much. Wish I could have seen you in studio. Maybe next time. Oh, yeah, next time. Definitely. Y'all take care. All right, cool. cool. All right, bye. Lately, I've been getting past it. I've been just saying, okay, it's not a big deal. But this one got, it was, it's like it's going in reverse. Normally, it starts small. Mm-hmm. And gets big and feels like it's all over my face, like it's 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 like a tunnel vision, and then it goes away. This time it started weird and hard, and then uh, and now on. it's just like one spot. Interesting. It so it's like a backward. It's going backward. It's, backward. it's like so. I'm not sure if it's starting over again or. We're gonna do a breathe bubble for a second. Okay. Because it always do... helps me. We're gonna do it together. Okay. So anybody listening, listening, this is gonna be a weird experience, but you can do it with us. It's it's breathe in and then breathe out, and we're gonna start now by breathing in. And breathe out. And we're just going to do one more. Breathe in. And breathe out. 
pretty crazy how just doing two big focus breaths yeah. can, to me at least, yeah, really, no. really help with my anxiety. No, no yeah. yeah, but it can That'll really help with my anxiety sure. around the migraine. So a visual migraine, for anybody who's never had one, I just started having them in my late 20s. And so it's interesting that um, right. you've been doing that. You've been having them your whole life, right? Yes, yes. So, since I was a teenager at least. Yeah, so there's a weird tie in here because Steve Novella, who is the host of The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe and the main author of the new SGU book, he's also a neurologist at Yale and he's a headache doctor. So when I first started having them, I asked him, Hey, what is going on with me? And he was like, Oh, that's a visual migraine. I didn't, right. I didn't know what it was because I don't feel pain. Right. Um, they call it a scintillating scotoma, which is the most common um, uh, hallmark of it. Some people might call it a migraine aura, but auras can be different for different people. And a scintillating scotoma is this, you can actually look it up on Wiki and there's a great GIF. Yes, I say GIF. That, um, <laughs> That, that you can kind of see what we see, but it, it's a little glittery zigzag that starts usually sort of in your periphery, right. and then it grows and grows and grows to the point where you can't read, you can't really watch TV. It completely Fs up your vision, and here's the fun thing, because it's in your head. When you close your eyes, it's still there, Yes, and it's um, it's weird because it doesn't hurt, but it's really bizarre, and the first time it's happening, right. you think you're dying. Yes. But then once you realize what it is, you learn. And Steve, of course, taught me, which I didn't realize, if you have visual migraines, that you're supposed to treat them like pain migraines. So you're supposed to take your headache medicine, potentially go into a dark room. You know, you can right. drink caffeine or do the different things that right. um, that might help you and just relax and take it easy. And apparently they are stress induced. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is typical for me. And yeah, and every time every time I'm stressed or, or lack of sleep, I get them. Mm-hmm. Um, I just got one when we when we did Dragon Con. Oh gosh! I got one because I had I, I didn't sleep on the flight over there. Yeah. And then I had I was like up to like five in the morning, and then I had to get up at nine to do a talk, and it was like within day one migraine. I think I had mm. one at last year. I'm surprised that this year that didn't happen because I also was really lacking sleep. Right. But I was able. I had such a minimal schedule that I was able to take big naps during the day, which was super helpful. But last year at Dragon Con, I had a horrible migraine. Yeah. Oh. And, and then I got one the week after that. I had to go to to Russia last week and I what you just yeah. got back from Russia yeah you're probably so jet lagged oh my gosh yeah and so I got one there because it was same thing 12 hour flight and didn't I was trying to stay on the same schedule it was it was a pain in the ass and then now and now I'm back so it's in like in four weeks I've had three which is normally I get them every six months or so oh no yeah um, I could see that being stressful and making you a little anxious but I think it's it's I sincerely doubt that there's anything wrong with your brain. Yes. I think it's all about the fact that you Well, there you might be something been, wrong with my brain. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. Different. <laughs> Nothing uh, pathological. Um, nothing clinically wrong. But yeah, that you've just been going, going, going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, you need a break, Ian Harris. You know, the funny thing is, so you don't get any pain. I get pain sometimes. It's very weird. I used to get horrible headaches after. Yeah, that's so common. It would come and it would go away. And then it was the headache where... I could put my finger on one spot on my head and all the pain would go there. I put my finger over here, all the pain. It was like very those bizarre. weird little light up electrical. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so exactly. Funny. It would just concentrate. And then now I get headaches after they, they, I still get headaches, but they're not nearly like they used to be. My teens mm. and early 20s, they were brutal, like to where I'm like, I can't function. Yeah. So that's now I just common. have like this headache that'll last me a long time, but they're but just like kind of like buzz. dull, annoying headache. 
So, yeah, I think that a lot of people, that's why a lot of people call what we're talking about, the, the scintillating scotoma right. or the visual migraine, they call that aura because right. to them, that's not the important part. The important right. part is now that I, they see that, they know a migraine right. is like a headache migraine is coming and they have to get home and get right. to a place where they can, and some people puke because it hurts so bad. I get nauseous sometimes before uh-huh. a little bit and then I, and then I start, then I see something I'm like, damn it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the damn it response yeah. too. Like, especially if I'm out in public, I'm like, oh. I've had him. On, I've had him on stage, and it's like all of a sudden, your my concentration's like, uh, yeah, shit, and I can't stop doing what I'm doing. I was like, I got another 45 minutes up here. What am I gonna do? So yeah, it's it's. Um, do you ever just lean into it, like tell people that it's happening and make it part of your act? That's what I would do. <laughs> I have before. One yeah. time, I was like. Oh fuck! I'm getting a migraine. I can't see any of you people right now. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, I can't even see my set list. This is yeah. horrible. Um, but yeah, it's 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 very bizarre. And like I said, I've had. I wish there was. I went and got. Um, I wish I could remember what the Imitrex. Imitrex. Yeah, so that's the name of the migraine medicine. I went and got Imitrex because one time I had five of these in a row. Mm-hmm. It was crazy, and I really thought I was dying. Yeah. Like I'm like, okay, I've had one. It lasts 20 minutes. It goes away. I get a headache. I had one, lasted like 20, 30 minutes, went away, mm-hmm. got a headache. Mm-hmm. Within an hour, I got another one. Thank oh, you. No. Five in a row mm-hmm. that lasted six hours. And I was like, I'm dying. There's something wrong with me. I've never had this many. So I, I went to the doctor and they, they gave me Imitrex. Did they scan you too? Did they look at your brain at all? Mm-mm. Have you ever had your brain looked at? No, no, no. I'm sure um, it's absolutely nothing, but some people like to do that just to, like when I used to have really so you bad- you have an aneurysm or something? Yeah, or? but like when I used to have really bad panic disorder. So when mm-hmm. I was in college, I would get horrible panic attacks. And like seeing you here and you're like, I'm getting a panic attack. I'm like, how are you functioning? Like when I would get panic attacks in class, I remember I did all the classic things. Like I'm like unhooking my bra because I can't breathe and it's <laughs> right. like binding. And I'm like, oh God, oh God. <laughs> and then eventually I pretend like, oh, I got an important call. And then I would like leave and get in my car and drive home as fast as I could. And the only thing that would help was getting in the bathtub and like relaxing in the bathtub. And when I used to experience those, the first time I went to the doctor and I was like, I'm pretty sure it's panic disorder. I'm a psychology student. I read about this a lot. They were like, we want to look at your heart just to be safe. Because apparently a lot of young people who maybe not a lot, but a very small percentage of young people who present with a panic disorder might actually have like a leaky heart valve or something that oh, makes wow. them feel all feel those like panic, panic symptoms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So of course then they rule all that out and then you're like, yeah, it's all in my head, yeah. you know, but yeah. it's, it's interesting how somebody who is prone to an anxiety response, especially a panic response, um, obviously it's going to be exacerbated by another um, sort of physiological experience right. like a migraine. And so the good thing about that is that there are really good kind of um, therapeutic strategies to bring right. calm down, a lot of breathing, meditation, those kinds of right. things. It's funny because we talk a lot in on the SGU and even you and I talk a lot about um, pseudoscience Right. And um, and woo. And we're sitting here in a shopping strip in Koreatown, surrounded <laughs> by these like medi spas that are right. all full of like acupuncture and total right. pseudoscience. But um, but meditation has some really good evidence right. backing it up. You yeah, know, yeah. M- mindfulness is really helpful, especially Absolutely. for people with anxiety. Well, it, it's funny because so I used to get panic attacks. Most of my panic attacks are medical, which is why I have. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a second, which is why I have them when I have my migraine. Yeah. Is I think something's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. I stand up and I get dizzy. Yeah. And I go, 
oh, I'm having a stroke, yeah. panic attack, <laughs> yeah. or oh, so I got a chest pain, oh, panic attack. Yeah. So I always have these 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 weird so that panic attacks based on like something medical. So when I started when I and I've had migraines my whole life, but I started reading about other things like I would hear people have strokes or aneurysms, and there's and the symptoms are almost identical to a migraine. You're seeing visual thing and with nausea sometimes. So I started thinking, well, maybe maybe it's that. So I started having panic attacks or the panic attack about the pain that was about to come when yeah. I was younger. And then, and what happened is I was, I got really afraid to fly. Oh no. I don't know why. Which is really hard as a comedian. Yes. And I hadn't flown forever. So in yeah. 2003, I had to fly on my honeymoon. I had, to, I, went, I had to go to Greece. I'd never flown internationally. I'd never flown that long. And I'm like, I, I'm not gonna be able to do this. I, I'm not gonna be able to fly 14 hours or whatever the hell it was to Greece. So- I went and got Ativan mm-hmm. or Lorazepam or what, whatever yeah, the same thing yeah. is. Yeah, it's benzos- benzodiazepine, yes. right? So it's like um, Valium or Xanax or any of the Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it's super mild. Like I've taken Xanax and it does kind of make you feel a little loopy. The yeah, lor- and a lot of that's dosage too. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the lor- lorazepam I took like at a very small, like they gave you half, they gave me half of a dose and then I would take like half of that mm-hmm. pill. And I remember I took it and I got on the plane and I was like five hours in and I'm like, turn to my wife, I'm like, this isn't working. I feel nothing. I'm totally awake. Everything's great. And, blah, blah, blah. and she goes, You're like, I'm calm. I'm relaxed. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I don't understand. Why isn't this working? <laughs> she goes, She goes, You haven't jumped or scratched the back of your neck yeah. or done anything weird in five hours. Yeah. And we're on a plane. Yeah, I think it's, it's working. working. Yeah. And your I was knuckles like, aren't white. Yeah. Yes. It's working. And the funny thing, so I used to take that for a while. And then I slowly started saying, You know what? This is a two hour flight. Yeah. I'm not going to take yeah, it. Yeah, I could do a two-hour flight. And I would do a lot of research on plane crashes and what the... <laughs> sa- I'm seriously, no, because it helps oh, me. Yeah. It actually helps me to know... That it usually only happens during takeoff and landing. Right. That and it's that, so rare. It's like your w- car the, is way more right. dangerous than a plane. Yes, and what were the causes of... Like, I watched a documentary. What was the cause of this plane crash? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, 20 different elements. It was a storm and the radar was out and the yeah. pilot did this and this. All these things made this rare thing happen. So I'm like, well... You know, and then I would listen sometimes to the cockpit. They used to let you listen to the cockpit, yeah. which they don't anymore. Some pla- don't some places still have it as one of the radio stations? I hope I think yeah, so, I but think I haven't so. flown on one recently. But but I, I use I would listen to that. I'd watch the little how you know the little mm-hmm. flight the journey, path, yeah, yeah. And I'd hear him talk about yeah, we're at thirty six thousand feet. There's going to be in the, the plane up ahead's like oh, you want to go down to you know thirty three thousand because you're going to hit some turbulence. And they and then when twenty minutes we'd get the you know request, we'd like to go to thirty three thousand, and air traffic control would say sure, go to thirty three thousand, and you'd feel a little turbulence, and then you would drop down. The old days, I'd feel turbulence, and I'd feel us drop, yeah. and I'd think, turbulence, we're dropping, we're dying. We're dying. And now you're like, oh, the pilot is telling me what's happening. Right. I'm totally aware. Right. So I got over it, and I haven't taken, like, the lorazepam to fly mm-hmm. in five years, four or oh, five wow. years now. Do you still keep a, a... I keep it on me, like, a yeah. safe... But, but I haven't used it. I have just flew to Russia on Aeroflot, which at one point had, like, 80,000 deaths. It was, what like, is the worst... Aeroflot? I've never even heard that's, of that airline. That's the Russian airline. Oh, God. No, and the funny you. thing is, when I first got the, the thing, I, they said, we were going to Russia, because it was for UFC, and I, I don't get to tell... They don't get, I don't get to know... When my fighter's fighting in Russia, I go to Russia. Yeah. So they're like, we're going to Russia. I'm like... All right, that's cool. And then they just they just give you your tickets. They uh-huh. say, send us your passport. We'll get your visa. We'll give you your tickets. And I'm like, as long as it's not on Aeroflot, because they're like the, they're they used to have the worst safety record of all time. <laughs> so I get the plane tickets, Aeroflot. I'm oh, like, you got to be shitting me. <laughs> so I did my research. Turns out they haven't been bad in years, and now they're actually a top ten rated airline. Oh wow! So they I'm like, cleaned up their act totally. Yeah. And I'm like, 
okay, cool. No problem. I've flown to Brazil twice. Yeah. Big, long flights, nothing. I've learned to calm. I still get some panic. I still freak out a little bit if there's a funny noise or if we hit some major turbulence. But I learned to calm and relax through it. And that helped me with my migraines. Oh, interesting. Because so you think that I they kind calm of calm down more. It's so interesting when we talk about like causal versus correlational research, right? Which we're not doing a controlled study with right, you. Right. It's not a double blind placebo study. But it is interesting why when we talk about the difference between causation and correlation, it's so important because it's sometimes hard to know, A, if there are intermediary or intervening variables, but B, if two things happen simultaneously or in a similar time frame and they follow each other, it's very hard to know if one is causing the other, if the other is causing it, or if something else, like I said, an intervening variable is involved. And it could really be the case that your anxiety and your migraine issues are sort of inextricably linked to one another. Yeah, And so that's cool that working on one tends to help the other and vice versa. Yeah. And, and, and it's, you know, I've learned to, you know, you were saying that you're not seeing me panic. I am, I was a bit, and Mm -hmm. I was having a little bit of my little twitches and whatever, but I've learned to really control my panic a lot more than, than I used to because I, yeah. because I had to for flying and I fly so much and I fly so much more now than I did, uh, you know, back when I was doing comedy a lot, I would stay on the Western half of the U S mostly and I would just drive Yeah, and I'm like, and I that really like, limits you. Yes. Yeah. It limits your career. Yes. Like it keeps you from being able to spread your wings like figuratively and literally, yes. you know what I did to, to, to. essentially basically cure my panic. I've I've struggled with depression my whole life and I take, you know, um, a daily antidepressant, a low dose of citalopram every day. I I see a therapist once a week. I'm, you know, a big advocate of like erasing the stigma around mental illness, all that stuff. But like when I was in college, I think I had a shrink off and on. I was really freaked out to take meds. So I never took, like, I I didn't want to admit to myself that I was like, quote unquote, sick enough to need medication. And it was a whole pride issue. But I realized, so when I was in high school, I smoked weed every day. Right. And I lived in Texas. So there's a different, there's a different weed culture in Texas. In right, California, right. you can like walk into a shop and it's like shopping for like artisan yeah, bread. Yeah, you can walk down the street and yeah. smoke weed now. Well, and <laughs> you can be like, mm, that one's a little bit too <laughs> earthy and I'd really like something with a little more sativa. And right. a little, yeah, it's like, okay. But in Texas, it's like, oh, you got that Maui wow. You have no idea what you're about <laughs> right. to smoke. Okay, yeah, I know the name of that. And so, and back be- even before that, you would smoke like really crappy swag that like, you know, was cheap because right, you were right. poor. And so I smoked weed every day through maybe like my junior year of high school. I didn't go my senior year. I went to college instead, up through maybe my sophomore year of college. And then I started having these extremely severe panic attacks and didn't think about it. For months, I would continue to smoke weed and they right. would come up randomly and I never knew. And then I started realizing every time I got high, I would start to panic. Mm. And it was like, it just happened out of the blue. And it was such a bummer that I had to quit smoking weed. And I tried smoking like six months later, nine months later, kind of systematically, you know, I was already working on science degrees at that point, um, a year later. And every time I would smoke, it would induce a panic attack. So I haven't actually smoked weed since I was in my early twenties because I'm that to me was a panic trigger and it bums me out. And people are like, oh yeah, weed makes you paranoid. I'm like, that's not the same thing. You don't understand. Like I wasn't paranoid. Paranoid. I had full blown panic attacks. Right. Like I could feel my circulatory system. Yes, it's not a fun feeling. To have. It's, it's so funny that you. So I grew up in Santa Cruz. I, you, I've told you before. You know, Santa Cruz is like weed central back in the day. I mean, it's a hippie commune. Mm-hmm. My mom, you know, used to grow it and sell it and whatever everything. It was Mama. like, yeah. I mean, she got in a little trouble for that once, but you know, that is what it is. It's, it's Santa Cruz. Um, but. 
everybody I grew up with. Like that was like normal. Like you just everybody smoked weed. I um and I, I don't know what it is. I mean, somebody I'm sure he was just putting it in layman's terms for me and was like, but I I've, I've actually had like allergic kind of reactions to it. Like mm. like I've had I've had minor um hives and stuff. Yeah, I can see that. But um but I remember asking a doctor one time because I said, you know, I, I feel like I got these hives and I, it could be correlation, but I feel like I've got them twice from while smoking weed. And every time I smoke weed, I have the craziest panic attack and paranoia. And I'm like, I've done acid. I've done shrooms. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, again, I'm from Santa Cruz. You do that when you're 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the how it works. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, um, you just do that. You never cycle. panicked on LSD. Oh no, I did. No, for sure. No, for sure. Because, <laughs> but I've also had really good trips. Because I, I don't know that I've had anything good, but <laughs> why but, did you keep doing no, it? I've done it a couple times. <laughs> okay. But I realize that all my most of my panic comes down to control, yeah, lack of absolutely. control. But the weird thing is, and I tell people this all the time, out of all the things I've done, all mm-hmm. the psychological things. Weed is a hundred times worse for me. And like I said, I, the doctor was like, well, it's, you know, you may have a mild allergy. He goes, and that might even be part of it. You have, yeah. you have panic. You already have panic disorder. He said that that might all be part of it. He yeah. goes, it might trigger all this shit. He goes, and it's, it's kind of like having an allergy to it. He's like, just don't do just don't it. Smoke weed. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You obviously have a, a heightened, um, reaction to somatic experiences, right? Mm. Anything that's like a bodily experience. Right. If you feel itchy, if you feel something crawling on your oh, skin, d- if you, it's gonna it's gonna induce your panic. And eating, uh-huh. like ingesting weed that way. Oh well, that makes everybody. It's way holy. Yeah. But talk about panic attack. Yeah. Oh it, my god. It's you, harder you to hospitalize me. Like it's crazy. <laughs> oh, no. Like I'm you, psycho. Do you remember that <laughs> old um, video or audio clip that was going around on the news where it was like a cop and his wife and they like ate weed? I think they did. I don't think they smoked. It. I think right. they ate it. Yeah. And then they were like, we think we're, they called nine. Oh, we think we're dying. Oh my God. It was like so good. We should, you guys should Google that right now. It's good. The, the producers in the corner nodding. Right. Like, yeah, I, I definitely remember that. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 cause it definitely is more bodily when you, when you do that. Yeah. I and it's also like... completely, I mean, it's almost impossible to calibrate your, or titrate your dose. You have right. no idea how much you're taking. And Weed is classified as a hallucinogen. A lot of people right. don't realize that because when you smoke it, you almost never hallucinate. And right. I think we also think about hallucinations in sort of a, a misnomer way. Like we think that when you drop acid, you see like dancing bears, like the <laughs> right, Grateful right. Dead. Like that doesn't happen. Like yeah. you get these weird visuals. Things look like they're breathing a little bit. They might yes. be a little glittery. And so when you eat a lot of weed, you see shit. Like right. that's yeah. that's a common side effect yes. that I think a lot of people don't realize. <laughs> Although um, I remember my, my friend who, who ended up just in high in high school? He he did so much weed. I mean, so so much acid. Like he 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 got busted. This is ironic. He got busted for smoking weed for his like hundredth time, and his parents like grounded him junior or senior year. And he was a painter, so he had to go home from school every day and in, into his room, and he wasn't allowed to come out. And every day he <laughs> dropped acid and painted. I'm sure they were really interesting. Uh, yes, but by the time he got to college, dude was brain dead. Yeah. Like, he he was one of those guys. I mean, he, and the funny thing is he ended up getting his engineering degree. He's, like, smart dude. But you talk to him, and he, he huh, like this, huh, hey, huh. Oh, interesting. Blank stare, like a lot of those old, they used to call it being dead back uh-huh. in the day. Like, you know, the the um, the old guys that did too much acid in, like, the 60s, they would, they would say, oh, that guy died. That means his brain was, he was just kind of fried. And he's, I guess he's kind of gotten more normal now, but it was years where this guy was, like, 
you couldn't talk to him. Like he was just this kind of weird blase. And, I, and but I remember in high school, I saw him like just he, the guy would do acid all the fucking time. And I'd see him like sitting outside of, of like an arcade. And one day he was like, you know, when we were like 15 or 16, mm-hmm. and he's like peeling this orange. <laughs> and he just had his fingers in the orange and he was like, oh. <laughs> and he was staring at it. I go, dude, I won't say his name. I go, dude, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? He goes, I'm peeling this earth, man. This earth. <laughs> he's, yeah. like, he's like, and it just won't peel. <laughs> I was like, all right, have fun with that, bro. It's <laughs> funny how you have these like flashbulb memories that take you right back. Yeah. I had a friend in high school who, you know, I think that he was probably predisposed to some, um, psychosis anyway like he probably I mean it's hard to know if somebody would have ended up with a more schizophrenic diagnosis regardless but I I definitely wonder about the role that all the hallucinogens played but I mean a lot of us did them though and I remember this one kid I think who was just more susceptible definitely ended up not in the best place and and Mm. I don't know if the hallucinogens you know, exacerbated that or right. not. But um, it's, you know, drugs are super interesting. Oh, yes. speaking of drugs and speaking of science, did you see that amazing study that was just published where they gave octopuses MDMA? No, but now I have to look that yeah, up. Yeah, it's really cool. I'll share, I'll share the full text with you, the PDF. But um, so octopuses are not social creatures. Right. But MDMA is, I mean, have you, you've tripped or I, mean, you've I have not, rolled no. before? I have not. Tripped ecstasy, God. I sound like <laughs> yeah, an old exactly. woman. No, so uh, you've never rolled before? You, you've, you've shot that ecstasy You've shot before. the ecstasy, yeah. No, so. Um, no, I, I never have because by the time I left, I mean, like I stopped all doing everything like in my early 20s or late teens. Oh, and ecstasy was much more of like a late 80s, early 90s. Right. So That's I was, I so that was like, so that was at the point where I'm like, I shouldn't touch anything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and I'm glad I, I'm glad I was that way because I'm very, a lot of addiction in my family, a lot mm-hmm. of fucked up people in my family. So I'm glad I'm, I, I, I just steered, I steered clear of all the hard drugs. Cause I'm like, I, I'm like, well, I don't know how I'm going to react. And also I knew there was addiction in my family. So I'm like, I don't want to be, you know, smoking crack and, you know, doing whatever I got to do to get that in, in my future. So I steered clear. And then anything that felt remotely hallucinating, whatever, I was like, I should probably not do this. Yeah, because some would argue that MDMA, or I'm sorry, that LSD is a much harder drug than MDMA, but regardless. (laughs) I'm sure it is, (laughs) but I had left all that behind. But I understand too, because MDMA makes you feel really good. And the last thing you want to do if you have a fear of addiction is take drugs like heroin that make you feel really, really good. Um, But so MDMA is uh, serotogenic. So the way that it works is it induces your presynaptic cells, your neurons, basically. The the neurons that already have a lot of serotonin produce serotonin to dump excessive amounts into the synapse. And then it also is taken back up into the cell so that the cell continues to produce it and hangs out in the synapse for longer than usual. Um, So it makes you feel super good. Like in layman's terms, it makes you feel super good. Uh, But it also makes you very, very social. So a big part of MDMA is like rave culture, right? Right, Or party culture, because people want to be touched a lot. They feel much more open, much more close to other people when they are on the drug, maybe even people with social anxiety. And that's why it's being used in clinical trials for things like PTSD, marital problems, social anxiety, blah, blah, blah. So basically octopuses, which converged from human, like our last common ancestor was something like 
over 500 million years ago. Yeah, like no, no, are, people think they're aliens. Yeah, you know, they are whole very different. Exactly, very different, they think yeah. they're aliens. There's also a whole thing about how they're like the second intelligence because they're so smart, but their brains are just like vastly, they're not Completely on different, the right? same, yeah, evolutionary course as the mammalian brain. Um, so cephalopods are just so different. And so these researchers were like, let's see, because octopus, they put them in the cage, they put another octopus in like an overturned basket and they like measured how long it spent with the octopus that was, and they're like, oh, I don't want to be near it, right? Because right. they're like not social. Yeah. And then they like dumped a bunch of MDMA in the water. <laughs> Apparently, first time, too much. Hard to know how to dose an octopus. Right, exactly. First time, too much. The researcher was quoted as saying something like, they all started freaking out and changing colors a lot. <laughs> so, okay, well, um, we'll back off on that. And then they noticed that it actually made them more social. And so right. the really cool thing, not colors. only is it a hilarious study about like giving octopuses MDMA, but the cool thing is there seem to be things that are conserved that are so evolutionarily ancient right. in our brains. They're transporters, the... the um, uh, receptors that take the serotonin back up, uh, or not back up, but sorry, take the serotonin into the next cell, right. um, the receiving cell in the synapse, are only 50% similar to ours, yet MDMA still works still worked on, on it. Yeah. yeah so, so it must work on that specific Very cool. Some thing. aspect of it, or at least it, the affinity is high enough that it just, it binds So did they like enough. start liking shitty music too? I don't know. <laughs> that's, um, that's the follow-up study. I is think. that the follow-up? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's a good one. It was a good one. People seem to respond to it. Like I share on my um, social, especially on my my Twitter, I share like five news articles, science news articles a day. Like right. I make it a big part of my routine to yeah, research yeah. what's going on in the news and share a lot of so people can kind of stay abreast of what's going on. Because a lot of times I think our feeds in social media are just dominated by politics. Yes. And sometimes it's cool to see what like I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, right. <laughs> sometimes it's cool to see what's happening out there. Yeah. Like legitimately happening in the world of of discovery and research. Yeah. So I try to make sure that I serve as a bit of an RSS feed for anybody who's interested in science news. And that was definitely one that I was like, ooh, and then I just Right. Shared it on the SGU this week. It's, it's nice. No, the, the best I mean, study that, of the it's week. super important. And by the way, I'm going to apologize really quick because I completely forgot about this. We had a vet. Um, oh, Dion Tremont. Oh, yeah, Dion Tremont. Sai <laughs> uh, babe. Yeah, so we had her. We had oh, her great. on a couple. Yeah, but, she's LA local, isn't she? Or no, no, she she's move? up in. She's like up in the Bay Area. She moved now. to the Bay Area. I texted yeah. her the other day, and she was like, yeah. "I don't live there anymore." And I was like, yeah. "I'm a bad friend." <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but she, she, yeah, she, she was awesome too. We talked, we talked politics as well. And then I went on her podcast, which is all about porn. She has a porn podcast. She has a porn a porn cast. I had no idea. Yes, it was um, and it was interesting. Which is so. weird because she's a chemist, right? <laughs> right, or something like that. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Her and a, her and a friend, um, they they do it's it's a two girls and a mic porn ca- porn cast or something like that. Two girls <laughs> and a mic. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yes, and we we had I had to watch we had to watch a, a film and uh, we picked. She's like they go all over genres and you get to pick different stuff. So they they we did one that was called a clockwork orgy. Oh, so and you was, watch porn and then you like, and then we talk review that one porn. That's so funny. Yes. So I just went on um, God awful movies. Have you been on that no. show? It's so good. So you, the, the God is a movies about usually God. Usually it's really okay. bad religious movies, right. and then you. But this time we had to watch a movie called Climate Hustle, which is like an anti climate change. It's like a climate oh, denialism awesome. movie, right. and it was so bad. And oh it's yes, so funny. You guys go listen to that episode. It was, yeah, really good. It was funny because my my favorite movie of all time is Clockwork Orange. Ah, um, so there were some good parallels in there. It, the, whoever wrote it wanted to make wanted to make a movie. They didn't want to make a like. <laughs> I, I was like, 
the writing is great. I mean, the writing was shitty because it was porn, but I'm like, they followed the scene for scene, the plot of 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 A Clockwork Orange. And did they make all the porn actresses say like the weird they double talk, speak? They and talk stuff? like yes, yeah, 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 like me and me and me droogs. Yeah. And they like to talk like that, and they would say the weird goofy language that does. It was hilarious, and um. And I was feeling all fuzzy wuzzy and my gutty yeah. watts and she was saying all that kind of stuff. And, um, and I was like, wow, this guy, whoever wrote this, I think it was a guy was really into a clockwork orange. And I'm like, so if I was watching this for porn effects, um, you might I be would, annoyed. I would yeah. not get into this. No, like, I, porn should be short and yes, to the point. Right, exactly. That's how I feel about my porn. I don't <laughs> yeah, exactly. want to wait. I'm, I'm just, yes. that scrub bar comes in really handy. <laughs> right, like, exactly. What is all this story <laughs> yes, leading up to the bar? Yes. Like, there's a reason you watch porn. Right. And you don't a... want to make it an all-night affair. <laughs> yes, you know exactly. I mean? Get the popcorn. <laughs> yeah, it's like, come on. It's yeah. like, I got five minutes, right? Yes. Like, here we go. Right. Red tube right now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but... You know, it's funny. I have a short and sweet and not even st- a non-story about Clockwork Orange. Maybe it's not really a, uh, uh, that interesting. But so there's the film, right? right? But it's based on the book by Anthony Burgess. Right. And I read the book um, after I saw the film. But I'd seen it was just a few years in between. I saw the film when I was much too young. I don't think I even really understood right. it. Um, and I read the book and I was so confused as I was reading the book because I didn't understand any of the language. The language yeah, yeah. And I posted something. No, this was probably even before the internet. I said something to some of my friends like, oh, it was so confusing. They were like, why didn't you just use the glossary in the back of the book? And I was like, are you fucking kidding me right, <laughs> right? now? But I looked and my version of the book didn't have a glossary. Oh, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Why? That, why that book is impossible to read without translating right. all of the, because it's not just that the dialogue is written that way. The narrative is written that right. way. So that yeah. becomes very difficult yeah and and it's um but but when you once you do get the hang of what they're talking mm-hmm. about is such a i mean the film I, I read the book as well um but um i'm a i'm a bad reader in that it takes me forever to read like i, I have i'm me too i'm dyslexic so i have mildly mm-hmm. dyslexic but it's it makes it to where like sometimes i'll read whole whole chapters of books and i'll be like I have no idea what I just read yeah. because I put words in that don't exist and I, I make up other words and I omit words. And, and so I have to read something like two or three times. And then, so like a lot of times I, I get a book and I'm like, I'm really interested in it, but I have to read it like 10 times and it takes me like six months to get through it because I'm like, I want to understand it. Mm-hmm. And if I just blow through it, I, I'm com- it's completely confusing because of what I've yeah, put in there. that no is not there. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so I'm very visual and I, I like, I, I, I read the book and then I watched the, the film, but man, Stanley Kubrick is obviously just an, an mm-hmm. amazing director, but I always tell people that that this, and it could be completely wrong. This is just my interpretation of how it went. But the book in the you know was written at a time when we had in England you had the two. There was a bunch of little gangs, the Teddy Boys and the Skinheads and the Rockers, and and there was the main two were this were the Mods or the Skins and the Rockers, and they fought and they were like street gangs, and they would go to the go to the soccer gang games and they would ride at the soccer games, and they used to make them take take their boots off and leave their boots in a big pile out front of the soccer stadium so you couldn't kick people in the head with their steel toe boots. Gotcha. Like, yeah. It was it was like a crazy time, like in the sixties and and, or, and even into the seventies in England, it was like Crips and Bloods with mm-hmm. these guys, right? So, and they were super violent. They would just like love to fight, drink beer and fight. An American microcosm of this might be SLC Punk. Yes, <laughs> it's exactly. an attempt to show this era. Right, exactly. If you've seen that film. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so the whole idea was, his thought was like, what happens if we get the future of this mm-hmm. is when we're desensitized to violence, violence yeah. how will we treat it and what will people be like? And I mean, in the fat, in the, the film, he's, you know, he dresses them like 
cross between skinheads and teddy, teddy boys. They've got bowler hats. They've got suspenders. They've mm-hmm. got, they've got boots on. They've got, you know, and he, uh, but the, the thing about it, the, the amazing to me about the movie is that so many people get to one or two scenes and they say, I couldn't get past this scene, the rape scene where he's singing in the rain. I couldn't get past it. And if you watch the film, it's not that, that graphic compared mm-hmm. to stuff nowadays. And I say, well, why is it? I used to think about this when I was a kid, when I was younger, I'm like, why is it that no one can get past the scene? Or, and there's a couple scenes like that. Because they're not desensitized to violence. Well, partly. Yeah. But I also think that what happens is he makes the movie really funny and he makes the characters really likable. Yeah. So you're watching a woman get raped in front of her husband and they're singing and dancing and making jokes and kicking this guy in the face. And it's by the um, protagonist. It's not right. an antagonist. Yes. Yeah. So you like the guy already and he's funny and you go, oh, that's, and you're laughing and smiling at a rape. Yeah. And I think our brains don't know how to process that. And we go, I like this, but I can't stand watching this. I don't know how to think about it. And the thing to me is, I don't know if he did this on purpose, but it's like, what a perfect way to show you that, hey, we shouldn't be desensitized to this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. This shouldn't be funny. And um, and it's, and I, and I, I, I have to think that, that he did that on purpose. But Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Because I watched, there's so many scenes in that movie where I go, man, this is so damn uncomfortable. Um, why is this so freaking uncomfortable? And, and the that hope was the is point. that it maintains its uncomfortability. You know right. what I mean? Because this is not a new movie. I mean, this is a right. Kubrick movie from when was it made? Nineteen seventy-one. Oh, early. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And um, and it it I think it stands up better than I don't know better than a lot of Kubrick movies. Yes. I mean, The Shining stands up really well. I think um, Full Metal Jacket stands up really. Obviously, two thousand one. Like his movies are all great, but there cinematically things were different in the seventies, right. and people were willing to watch a slower film. Right, a film where like and see wide shots and in you know yeah. symmetrical things and are, just like the way the storytelling happened back then. Like now, you can jump cut between things and you fill in the blanks with your head right. because we're so used to that type of editing. Right. But back in the day, if you want to show somebody going from one room to the other, you showed them on this side of the door, right. open it, and then on the other side of the door. You know, it's right. like you had to thread things together, and films had a lot more breathing. Like 2001 right. is a classic example. Right. It's a brilliant movie, but it will put you to sleep. Super slow, And yes. anybody who claims, like, no, it's riveting is yeah. lying to yes, you. Yes, exactly. You know what I mean? But Clockwork Orange is actually not slow. No. Like, it, it, there's so much packed into that film. Yeah, and, it, and it's... And it's completely socially relevant still today because mm-hmm. the whole political message of what is it, what's important having having the free will to be able to make horrible choices or controlling everyone to not make horrible choices and it's like which is better i don't know do we do we put do do we you know make sure that everyone is 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 chemically unable to have sex and commit violence or do we know that that's going to be part of having freedom and deal with it another way and and that's still that's still something that we that we deal with today. Oh, I mean, completely. even more so today with people talking about like you know in 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 our community with people talking about the the, the social justice stuff. Where it's how when does it become fascism to tell this person they can't or can't speak on both sides, right and left? They're doing this. You can't talk. You can't talk. You I get to punch you in the face for thinking this, and I want to punch you in the face for thinking this. And it's that's like, still illegal. Yes, it is. <laughs> that that's but it, but, it, but it's but it's still it's still a question that we that we grapple with where it's like okay well is it okay is violence okay in this scene should violence never be okay like in this scenario or or 
or should it never be okay? And, and, um, well, and that's why, you know, that's why this kind of classic sci-fi sort of uh, socially conscientious literature holds up. That's why Aldous Huxley holds up. Right. That's why George Orwell holds up, you know, um, that's why well, also George Burgess. Orwell, it's that, that's, that's actually happening right exactly. now. 1984 I mean, is, it's unbelievable how, how much that is. Yes. It's so all very prescient. Right it's a very yes. black mirror, right? Yes. It's very like all of the, and, and even 2001, which we talked about being very slow, I mean, is all about computer learning, mm-hmm. AI, neural net yes. technology, and what happens when these recursive machines are able to make decisions that we can right. no longer control or program. So, which, which by the way, it's a whole other subject. And then we've got like two minutes, but I know but, we just got the warning. I know. Damn it. But I often wonder, and this is a good subject. I'd love love to talk about this at some point. I wonder if science fiction, science fiction writers, if they just see trends and they predict the future, or if when they write these things, we go, ooh, cool idea, and we work toward that, or if it's a little bit of both, because there's so many times you go, wow, that person was dead on. Yeah. What was, and we, well, did we work toward that or, or were they just so sharp that they go in 50 years, I could see this happening. Yeah. I think it's probably more of the former, but there's a little of the latter. I right. mean, I think that Star Trek, for example, um, really did inspire, um, you know, multiple generations of engineers. And so people saw technology that was existing in Star Trek and said, like, I wonder if we could make that work. Right. And so I do think that, especially with tangible technology, you, we do see those things inspired by sci-fi. But a lot of these science fiction writers who just really have their finger on the pulse of social trends, right. I think that they're just very good futurists. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they can foresee what's happening because we as a society are incredibly short-sighted. Right. And anybody who can just think beyond that short-sightedness right. and say, mm, downstream, there are going to be some effects of this, right. um, has that capability. And we are predictable and we are, and we, we repeat history a lot. Absolutely. As well. And if you can also do that with, um, like literary perfection, literary flair, then right. that's, um, I think the recipe for, a really um, uh, lasting classic. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, we have to go. I, I, I could be here all day, mm-hmm. uh, and I would like to. <laughs> but one day when Ty's back in, yeah, I'd I want love to you, hang you with could him. meet with. Yeah, yeah, you haven't met Ty before, no. right? Well, yeah, so he's a he's a really good comic, and he's a he's he's a. And the cool thing is, Ty is not. Ty's a skeptical thinker and he's a smart guy, but he's not part of this. He's not like a science skeptic guy. He's yeah. not an atheist. He's not none of that. But he he. Uh, so he always he always asks a lot of questions that I wouldn't normally ask because I feel like I'm like I already know. But he yeah. asks questions. I go, yeah. Well, let's. What is that? You yeah. know. So uh, so it, it, next one day we'll we'll have you back in. Love I it. appreciate you coming in. And so tell people by the way everything you got going on, where they can find mm-hmm. and and all this stuff because you have so much cool stuff. And you guys, if you don't already follow her, follow her because she's awesome. Yeah. So my website was getting unruly, so I've overhauled it. But now there's not enough stuff on it. So okay. you can go to karasanamaria.com and find a few things. Um, my podcast, Talk Nerdy. Also, I finally just like spent too much money on the URL. So you can go to talknerdy.com. That'll nice. take you right to my podcast. Um, talknerdymerch.com is a great way to support the show. You can buy merch um, or you can go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash talknerdy. Two books coming out both in early October, The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, How to Know What's Really Real in a World Increasingly Full of Fake. Um, help us get on the bestseller list. Yes. Um, and then also the National Geographic Almanac 2019. I'm the spokesperson for it. So I wrote the foreword and a bunch of these little quiz master pages. Nice. 
so cool. Um, it comes out in on October 23rd, and it is great fun. It's basically just jam-packed. It, we, they do the Almanac for Kids every year, National right. Geographic. This is the first ever adult version. So it's oh, no an awesome, informative, beautiful coffee table book. It has a, a bunch of features on cool scientists and their research, but also just stunning images and really like deep it goes deep about space about our planet earth about conservation about anything that you can imagine you want to know about um that's kind of new and cutting edge in the world of science so check that out my podcast talk nerdy already talked about that um 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 skeptics guide to the universe Universe, talked about that we're going to be when does this air um probably in a week in a week okay cool so we are going to be on the east coast for a little bit of promotion around the book the first week of october and then first kind of leading into the second and then we're headed to the uk we'll be at qed we'll be doing some special talks at cambridge and around um london and edinburgh skeptics so uh just look at the calendar on the website and check us out nice Well, thank you. for and, and if anybody's out there uh, listening who's in Columbus or Denver or Colorado Springs, go to my website, ianharriscomedian.com or skepticcomedian.com. I'm going to be October 18th, 19th, and 20th, Columbus, Ohio, uh, Colorado Springs, and Denver doing shows. And um, Also, October 19th is my birthday. Just oh, saying. October 19th. In case 19th. you want to say hi All on right. Twitter. Yes. <laughs> and will you be here or will you be? No, I'll be in the UK. That's when you'll be in the yeah, UK. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Then it'll have to be on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, and next time we'll have we'll have Ty back. Uh, thanks everybody for joining us. Stay critical, stay thinking, and this, and I'll do this for Ty because he's not here. And he says every week, "Damn it, people, empathy." All right, that's my Ty impression. All right, see you all next time. <laughs>